0: Alright, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksicles? What the fuckleberry fins? What the fuck, minster fullers? Uh, what the fuckingucks? Why not throw the Canadians in there? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. It's my show. It's the podcast. It's where it's happening. Big show today. Whew, oh my god. Alright, so last week I talked to Mick Jagger and it about blew my brain open. Uh, today I got I get on the phone with Keith Richards, who in look, I love Mick Jagger. I love the Rolling Stones, but Keith Richards is my guy. you know what I'm saying? And I talked to Dean about that. I pulled Dean back into it, pulled him over here. I felt like since I talked to Mick that I could handle Keith, and I think I did handle it for about nine minutes. And then it was sort of like I don't, I don't I gotta go. I gotta go. I can't take it anymore. Perhaps if I sit down with Keith in the room here or in a room at his house, for an hour or so it would be fine but just on the phone i was like i yeah, there's so much i i don't i'm experiencing feelings my head's about to explode and i'm hitting a wall but uh but you can't tell you can't tell i i tried to be cool you know and i told him where i was at and i asked him where he was at and it was good so that's look forward to that amber tamblin is also on the show she's got a book coming out she's an actress as you may know also uh she's the wife of the uh The wonderful David Cross. But she's got this beautiful uh, and dark book of poetry coming out, Dark Sparkler. That comes out tomorrow. I talked to her. Before I forget, the Marination Tour uh, starts officially on April 9th at the Warner Theater in Washington, D.C. There's still a few tickets for that left. The Trocadero in Philadelphia. Both shows are sold out. The Wilbur in Boston, Massachusetts might be tickets for that second show on April 11th. Uh, In Madison, Wisconsin, tickets available April 16th at the Barrymore Theater. April 17th in Pittsburgh at the Carnegie of Homestead Music Hall. I believe you can get tickets. April 18th at the Royal Oak Music Theater in Royal Oak, Michigan. Yes, you can get tickets. Uh, Sunday, April 19th at the Bluma Appel uh, in Toronto, Ontario. Early show sold out. Uh, Late show might be tickets. Not sure. Paramount in Austin on April 23rd. Think You Can Still Get Tickets, Fitzgerald's, April 25th in Houston, sold out. April 28th, Southside Music Hall, Dallas, you can get tickets. Friday, May 8th, Neptune in Seattle, early show, sold out. Late show, might be tickets. The Vogue, Vancouver, go get your tickets, please. That's May 9th. May 10th, Davies Symphony Hall in San Francisco, please. Bay Area, go get your tickets. It's a big place. I sold a lot of tickets, but it's a big ass place. Thursday, May 14th, the Orange Peel in Asheville, North Carolina. Early show sold out. Late show. Go get your tickets, Asheville. May 15th, Charleston Music Hall, Charleston, South Carolina. Go get them. Few tickets left. Saturday, May 16th, Variety Playhouse, Atlanta. Few tickets left. Get them. Sunday, May 17th, Joy Theater, New Orleans, Louisiana. Go get those tickets. All right, so that's the layout right now. All right? I just want you to know that. I'm not pushing too hard, am I? Okay, good. You you know, a lot of times people ask me, after the Louis episode, all right, so that episode, my episode with Louis C.K., that I did a few years back, uh, was voted the the best podcast ever in the history of podcasts by uh, Slate. So, you know, every once in a while... You know, people come up to me and go like, what's going on with you and Louie? You all right? You and Louie all right? And as you know, Louie has had me on his show the last two seasons for an episode. So that would indicate that we're all right. Uh, but then like a weird thing happened on stage the other night. I was at the comedy store and I was doing well. I had a good week last week. I was feeling confident, feeling excited. Uh, uh, my comedy was going well. I had the right headspace. That... that I can get into it most of the time, but sometimes it's fleeting. But for some reason, I was having a very good week. And I was on stage in the original room at the comedy store. Must have been Wednesday night, maybe. I think it was Wednesday. And uh, I'm like, the, the way the comedy store works is you go on and then you bring up the next guy. And sometimes it's the guy on the list, but sometimes that guy might not be here. So generally, you ask Jeff, the piano guy, you know, who's up next. So I was about done. Uh, had a couple more minutes and I said Jeff who's up next and usually he'll just tell you but this time he walks over with a piece of paper hands it to me as a special guest I look at the piece of paper is Louis CK So in that moment I say oh yeah this guy I know this guy I think I'm going to you know I think I'm going to do a few more minutes I'm going to stretch it out a little bit I'm going to work on some new bits right now I was just being funny being a dick I- obviously I was kidding but it w- what was struck me was there was another time in my career where, where if any of those guys would come in the room, like back when I was starting out in New York and I was finally getting spots at the Comedy Cellar, if uh, Dave Attell or Louie uh, would come into the room, I would tell them to get out. I would It would fuck my setup because in my mind, I'm not doing it for the comics. I'm trying to figure out how to perform for regular people. So if I saw Dave come in, I'd be like, get out. I, I, I don't want to deal with the pressure. Or if I saw Louis come in, I'd be like, come on, just let me do this by myself, please. But uh, it was a, it was a, an amazing sign of growth and friendship for me that I, I really wasn't uh, threatened or intimidated or or felt uh, judged or nervous. I did a couple more minutes. I brought Louis up and he told this story about me that I had forgotten about, which is always nice to hear a story about you. He said he loved me and that we were buddies and it was very nice. But he told this story that I'd completely forgotten about. Uh... And I don't. I don't know how he. I must have told him, or maybe he was he was over the morning that I, it, it, you know, that he came by the day it happened. But I used to live in New York City. I used to live on Second Street between A and B in 1989. So it, the Giuliani reign of uh, of uh, control and uh, and police state had not occurred yet, and my street was a heroin street, and. There was a heroin doorway literally right next to my apartment. There was this little store. I think it was a bookstore. Next to it was a bodega-type store. But they were selling heroin out of there. And there'd be point guys on either side of the street uh, to manage the cops. And they'd have little calls and whistles to let the junkies know when to scatter and when the dealers know when to scatter. I ultimately ended up buying heroin in that doorway after a year and a half sobriety and then finally going, uh, I got to see what that's like. And it was a quite an ordeal. You got to go through the main guy, two guys at the door, and then there's another guy inside. And then a basket comes down. and You put money in it. The basket goes up. It was quite an ordeal. Glad that didn't stick. So, well, anyway, so in front of this fake store, this front, this random bookstore slash bodega, uh, was a parking spot. That you pretty much knew not to park in. The guys would run their little Honda bikes. That they had those little Japanese uh, motorcycles. Uh, some of the guys involved be screaming up and down the streets at all hours. But you know, you just didn't park there. It was a known thing. Well, one day, you know, I was r- driving around looking for a parking space. I had a car. You know, some of us held on to that dream in New York for a while. But I also had to go up north to work. I was not getting any work in New York. I was just doing sets at the Comedy Cellar and maybe. I do not even know if I was at that point, but I have to drive up to Boston uh, in the New England area to get paid work every weekend. So I had this little VW Golf, and, and one night I was just driving around and around and could not find a parking space, and I just said, fuck it. I'm parking in the drug space. What could happen? I'll get it in the morning. So I parked there, and I get up the next day, and I go out, and my tires are flat, and there's dudes standing around the dudes that work at the drug space the drug doorway dudes are just hanging around and I come out and uh, I look at my car and they go is that your car man? I'm like yeah and they're like gee man it's sad what happened man I don't know what happened huh Something's fucked up right and it was one of those things where I knew they did it but I had to sit there and go yeah it's, it's pretty shitty that someone flattened my tires and they're like yeah maybe you shouldn't have parked there right and I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I just live right here. I know, so you should know. You shouldn't park there. I wonder who did this. And I'm like, okay, all right, I, I get it. I get it. It's like Straw Dogs, you know, the movie. And I'm like, oh, so do you know where I can get some tires? I got to get some tires on this thing so I can work. I'm like, yeah, there's a guy around the corner. And then I, I don't know why I did this, but I said, we well, you keep an eye on the car? I'm going to go around the corner. So I run around the corner of this tire joint to get a few spares. See if I could get them, then come back around. And two of the dudes that were out in front of the place are now in my car, going through it, going through my glove compartment. And I'm like, "Hey, I'm right here. Could we get out of my car?" And they're like, "Oh, sorry, man. We're just keeping an eye on it for you." It was just one of the most humiliating, horrible things, uh, you know, that ever happened to me. That didn't, you know, that didn't hurt me dramatically, but it was just, ugh, what a horrible feeling. And I changed the tires, but I'll tell you. The moral of that story, don't park in the drug space. I did not do that again. I learned my lesson. So Louie did a good spy, did some new stuff, and afterwards we uh, talked and hugged and reconnected, and he was leaving town a couple days, and I heard from him uh, recently. It was funny because I heard from him, I guess he was on his way back to New York. He was on the plane, and he took a picture of the United Entertainment Options, uh, And uh, there was a Louie and then there was something else. And then Marin, like right next to each other, just texted the screen with both of us on it. And he said, life is fucking bizarre. And I said, ha, is that United? He goes, "Yup." And I said, wild. That's actually the only place people can see my show. And he went, ha. Ah. But speaking of my show, let's talk honestly for a minute because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pitch this again as well. My show Marin, the third season, premieres on IFC on May 14th. Now, I know a lot of you watch it on Netflix a year or so later. I know some of you uh, watch it. You buy it on iTunes. I know there's a couple of other ways to watch it other than IFC. But I would urge you, and I'm not this guy, but I'm going to be this guy. Be nice if you don't have IFC. Maybe pick it up for a couple months during the running of my show because it would be nice to get some numbers there. You know, I'm glad that everybody watches my show. However you're gonna watch it, that's fine. But if you watch it on IFC, then ratings happen and that determines whether or not we do more or or, or whether or not we're a success on that network. I think look, I know that's old timey, but uh if you can find it in your heart to pick up IFC for you know, for May, June and July, uh that would be that would be very uh that would be helpful to me and you can watch my show as it happens in real time. And they will be running marathons, Maranathons, however you want to say it, you know leading up to the premiere of the third season of the first two seasons. All right, so you've been you've been asked politely. okay? All right. I'm about to uh, share my uh, interaction with Dean previous to the Keith Richards call and my uh, conversation with really, I would say, the biggest hero uh, I've had in my life since I can remember having heroes, uh, Keith Richards. You can listen to me try to keep my cool and talk about guitars <laughs> with, with fucking Keith Richards. And he sounds great. He sounds great. So as you know, the zip code tour tickets go on sale next Monday, April 13th for the Stones, but you can get them this Wednesday if you're an American Express card member. All right? So here we go. Let's, let's get into the lead up and the phone call. With my hero, Keith Richards. I'm
1: so glad I'm here, dude. Oh,
0: did the response? Dude, the phone's gonna ring. Keith Richards is gonna be on the phone. What time? Oh man, in a couple minutes. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> oh. Oh shit. shit, shit. Hello, hello, Mark. Keith Richards. Yeah, how are you? I'm great, man. How are you? I can't believe you're calling.
1: Well, that's the job, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I talked to I talked to Mick last week, and he asked me if I was going to talk to you, and I said
1: I was. And yeah, uh,
0: yeah, and he, uh, we had a nice conversation. How are you guys getting along? All
1: right. Yeah, man, I'm fine. I'm just you know, I'm sort of just. The preparing uh for the road you know
0: and what are you guys doing? you're rehearsing like every day or what a couple of days well, a week
1: not not at the moment but we will be within a, in a couple of weeks um, I, I i'm not sure where yet but uh where are getting you at- ready for it oh great where are you at now uh, i'm up in uh, i'm in connecticut right now so
0: like on, a, on an average day do you sit around and play for for a little while
1: yeah, every day a little bit. You know, it depends if the when the mood grabs me. You know, sometimes the piano. You know, sometimes the guitar.
0: And what what are you playing? That big uh, like one of those Gibson, uh, the hummingbird, the big the big Gibsons.
1: No, uh, up at home. No, I got a couple of little um, uh, Martin and uh, a and, uh, and a little angel uh, guitar. Oh, that's sweet. Which, I... Yeah, they're really just nicer around the house. You know. Yeah
0: what's your What's your main guitar when you're going out now?
1: Well, I play the the usual lineup, man. Uh, you know, my my Telecasters and uh, a, a couple of Gibsons. Pretty much the same thing uh, ever since. Uh, I can't remember when I didn't have them. You know.
0: Do you do you still play with that? Do you still take that fifty-two telly out? that old Uh, one yeah sure
1: man Man, he's my (laughs) mainstay yeah
0: (laughs) that's awesome man so so this tour you're going to do a a few dates and they're all going to be big but that sticky fingers reissue that's pretty exciting you excited about that
1: yeah yeah and that's why it's called zip code you know (laughs) the tour because uh the famous zip um (laughs) um, yeah it's interesting it's coming out um I'm not sure how, you know, hey, maybe we'll even uh, try and play the whole damn thing on stage, you know.
0: Yeah. I told you, I I asked Mick about that cuz I heard a rumor that you guys were going to do that and he was like, "I don't know if we're going if it's going to work yeah, out." Yeah, we
1: don't know. We we did it's an idea. We won't know till we get into rehearsals.
0: Well, what what's the fear do you think? You just don't know which songs you're going to click with again? What determines that?
1: No, you, know, you got to wait until you're actually all together uh, and uh and, just and playing play you know before you can really make decisions like that you know so yeah. uh, well we'll give everything a, a bash you know yeah
0: and how you, how, yeah. You feel, how you i'm
1: learning moonlight mile again right now you know Oh,
0: that's gonna be amazing how about sister morphine you on top of that
1: yeah, I think, yeah, that's that one I've got down, I think. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and
0: uh, me and uh, my friend Dean Delray are sitting here, and we were listening to Talk is Cheap. How come you never, like, do you ever think about playing any of those tunes?
1: Well, you know, with the Stones, no. I mean, it's a separate thing, you know. Um, yeah, that's interesting, you know. Yeah, Talk is Cheap. I, I, I love the winos, man. Yeah, it's a great record, yeah. man. It's a great record. <laughs>
0: Now, when you guys go out, what's uh, what's your regimen? I mean, like, you're just gonna, you're not, are you gonna go on a bus? Do you guys still do a bus or no?
1: No, no, we have a plane. Yeah, yeah.
0: Fuck the bus, yeah. right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, it's quicker. Although, actually, uh, sometimes uh, we do take a bus just for the fun of it. You know, it depend, depends on the ride, you know, what the distance is. and uh, Sure, man. You know, they oh well, let's take all afternoon and ride it by bus through the country, you know. <laughs>
0: sure, man, why not? Why not? It's, it's, nice yeah, to, it's nice to see the country when you're not being chased. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, when uh, and how are, how's Charlie doing? You guys all right?
1: Yeah, Charlie's great, man. Yeah, and I was ta- yeah. I spoke to him the other day. And, uh, I said, "What are you doing?" He says, "I'm packing." <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and and Ronnie's okay.
1: Yeah, Ronnie's in fine shape, man, yeah.
0: You know, good. Now, I, I asked Mick, because I always wonder, like, because I, I, I actually haven't seen you guys live since 1981, in the Madison Square Garden.
1: Oh, wow, you've been there.
0: But I was wondering, like, do you ever, when you're up on stage, do you ever, like, catch yourself, like, looking over your shoulder to see if Bill's there? Do you miss Bill?
1: Um, yeah, well, I miss him in, in, in the way, you know, uh, as a as a mate. But I, with Daryl Jones, man, it's... Uh, He's, well, I, you know, it's he's great. Uh, you know, I'm enjoying so much playing with him. And as Daryl says, even though he's the new boy, he's been with us twenty years. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> that's a while, man. Now, yeah, man. Now, I, 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 do you do you actually hang out with Paul McCartney sometimes?
1: Yeah, sometimes, just a little here and there, yeah.
0: Did you ever think about, did did it ever come up where you thought maybe we could jam together with Paul McCartney? Yeah,
1: that that, that often comes up, but we've never got around to it yet.
0: (laughs) And how about Chuck Berry, man? Are you still in touch?
1: Uh, I haven't seen Chuck uh, for a while, although I sent him a a note uh, a a couple of weeks ago. But um, yeah, as far as I know, he's all right.
0: And are you thinking about
1: having some uh, guest
0: players on the tour? You have you got anybody in mind?
1: Yeah, I, I guess I I'm I I I think it's likely. I haven't thought about it and but I may, I thought maybe Mick might have mentioned more of that though, because I don't really get into that until uh until I'm there.
0: Like what are your favorite songs to play? How does it feel to play Moonlight Mile again?
1: Oh, that will be fun. You know, I mean, it's uh, been a while and um but favorite AI, genius, I could play in Jack Flash all night. You
0: know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And do you ever listen to? Uh, you know, I was, I was I was asking Mick about it. You know, because I I've been following you guys a long time, and I bought my first Telecaster because of you. And I started smoking cigarettes because of you. You changed my life, man. Oh, man.
1: man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I started drinking Jack Daniels because of you. And then after I did all that, Keith, I learned how to play guitar. I started with the
1: other stuff. Yeah, yeah, I got <laughs> you. That's one way of approaching it. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, uh, but like, what do you got? You, how far back do you go when you. What kind of records you listen to uh, every once in a while? You go back to the blues?
1: Oh, yeah, quite often. Uh, yeah, man. I just, al- alway, always. Uh, who, you are you, know, who are You are once your or main... twice a week. Oh, get really? Get a dose of the blues, put the, put the channel, radio channel, the blues channel, or uh, start to go through the old, uh, you know, pile of records and stuff. And, uh, yeah, always listen. Robert Johnson, Muddy Wood is, I listen to all those cats all the time.
0: So do you ever think about, like, putting out a straight-up blues record? I know all the Stones records are blues records on some level.
1: But yeah. do you ever think um, about just stripping it down? I don't know, you know, it's an idea that's always been sort of lurking in the background with the Stones. But uh I I don't know if anyone if they got the balls for it. You know?
0: <laughs> what what could they be afraid of, Keith? What what could,
1: what do you think? I know, that that's what I think. I uh, you know, um but I mean, hey, maybe it's just a matter of time, you know, it might be uh might be the right time to do it, you know, next time we get in the studio
0: yeah why the hell not so uh yeah so now what do you what are you doing to prepare are you are just rehearsing you're not you're not yeah you you're not doing push-ups or anything are you uh
1: you know i wait uh, I, it's enough to get on the stage uh, that's enough exercise man <laughs> no i don't do anything particular <laughs> but uh you know i'm in pretty good shape you know you sound great man you sound great you too brother
0: what, what is that tuning you're still playing mostly five strings right
1: uh, well, depending on the song, I, I mean, I guess it's about uh, 50-50, really, uh, when it comes down to it. And
0: what's your favorite Stones record, Keith?
1: Oh, uh, the rough ones that pull on me, man. I'm uh, sorry, uh, but, you know, when you look back I, you at know, it... it... Give Me Shelter, I love. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then, you know, uh, Midnight Rambler. The and, best! Uh, I could go on, man, but, uh, you know, I've... Uh, you know. April oh, give me shelter for, for this time.
0: Oh man! Well, you know, uh, Keith, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say. This uh, this conversation might have changed my life.
1: <laughs> Not again, <laughs> baby.
0: <laughs> We're all looking forward to the tour. It's great talking to you, man.
1: Okay, you too, man. Take it easy. Bye, bye. See ya.
0: Whoa, man! What the hell just happened, dude? That was next level, dude. <laughs> wow. What the hell just happened? And like, I like, I, I probably could have talked to him longer, but well, I just I, had to, you know, I know, I know, I can't believe you let him go. I was I like, no, no, keep it going, got go, I go, I go. I was like, keep it going, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, that was enough, right? Yeah, that was awesome, dude. Holy fuck! <laughs> <laughs> so I think that I think that went pretty well. And I hope I can have a longer conversation with him at another time. That's all I could say, but it was funny, and I I, I, almost, I almost exploded. I almost exploded. I hope you enjoyed that. I don't know if a lot of you people know this, but I was a poet. I uh, did some very important poetry work. Bow, I just shit in my pants, just coffee.co-op available at wtfpod.com. A classic ad that uh that i decided to impulsively do at that at that moment classic wtf can i say that yeah i was a poet i i did uh i i thought that i was going to write poetry not for a living necessarily but but as something that seemed to be the uh the clearest way to the truth for me at a time back when i was uh, in high school and college i edited the uh, undergraduate literary journal journal one year i was published in it twice um i enjoyed writing poetry i'll still do it occasionally I enjoy reading poetry. I don't always know what poetry to read. And I've talked about poetry on this show before, and the woman uh, who, who works, I think she's an editor of her poetry, uh, the journal, sent me a bunch with uh, with uh, actually uh, post-its on the pages of the guy she thought I would like, and I did like it. I like reading poetry. So when Amber Tamblyn reached out to me and, and said she was going to write a book of poetry, I was like, yeah. Well, not said she was going to write it. She'd written it. And I was like, well, sure, let's talk about poetry. So so i i'm I'm excited to uh, to share this with you. It's me and Amber Tamblin, the actress and poet, talking about her new book, Dark Sparkler, which comes out tomorrow. And for those of you who live in the area here, she'll be at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery on april twenty fourth for a book release event with Yola Tango. That band. Yeah. So that should be cool. So here now is me and Amber. Hi Amber. Hi Mark. It's nice to see you again. It's nice to see you I've again. I've seen you maybe 3 or 4 times. Yes. Never had a conversation with you. No. Hugged. Yes. Acted like, you know, hi, it's my my friend's girlfriend, yes. his wife. Yes. And you're like, oh, you're that guy. Yes. Well, th- well, this is it. Yes. It's happening now. Yes. You ready? Yes. <laughs> We've been out here for 2 days in Los Angeles yes. where your parents are. Correct. And your 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 childhood home?
2: Yeah, that's right. Born and raised in uh, in Venice.
0: Still the same place down there that they're living in.
2: It's still the same apartment. Yeah, uh, same place. They've been there for thirty three years, thirty five years, I think.
0: So it's like well worn old furniture, art, and books.
2: Very much so. Yeah.
0: What kind of name is Tamwin? It's Welsh. Huh. And what? So is that what your background is?
2: Um, no, I'm mostly Scottish. Scottish. Um, very Scottish. You can see that as soon as I start drinking drinking bourbon.
0: Oh, yeah? What happens?
2: I just get very mean.
0: Can Are you uh, incomprehensible in terms of how you speak?
2: No. <laughs> I just get like flirty and mean. It's nice. the worst combination. I
0: think maybe I saw you once like that. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, nah, I'm nervous. <laughs> so they're both still down there?
2: Um. Yeah, they're, they're still there. Married? Uh, yeah, still married, yeah. Really? Yeah.
0: After all the 60s.
2: Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, and, and what came out of that was uh, actually my dad, they're both on their third marriage. So uh, they were both married twice before they met. And during in between or during one of those two marriages for my dad, he actually uh, had a daughter that he never knew about that um, came knocking on the door one day when she was 17. I was, I think, like seven years old. Her name's China. She's my sister. Really? But he never knew about her. And the reason is because her mother... Um, really didn't want to tell her daughter because her father was a womanizer at that time.
0: Which was your dad.
2: Yeah. And, you know, at that time in the 60s, it was all free love and people who were married also had mistresses. It just was a,
0: you know. And your dad was like time. right in the middle of it, right? He was part, wait, let's talk about him for a minute because yeah. he was part of the studio system.
2: Yes, very much so.
0: And and then uh, he just went rogue like the entire industry, right?
2: Yeah, he did. He, he, was, uh, he was under contract at MGM and he'd been acting since he was nine years old and uh, went to school on the MGM lot with Elizabeth Taylor. And, you know, just he had an incredible life. And then the 60s happened and he met Dennis Hopper and Neil Young. And, you know, they all moved up into Topanga Canyon. And who's part of that crew. Oh, yeah. Big time. Those are my uh, those are my goddads. Those dummies.
0: Neil Young and...
2: No, one of them's dead. He's still dumb.
0: Who? Which one? Dennis. Oh, Dennis. Both of those guys are your goddads? Yeah. So, were they part of your life, your whole life?
2: Um, Dennis much more when I was really young. Yeah. Um, N- Neil, Neil and Dean Stockwell really were more uh, around a lot growing up, and and Neil's daughter is one of my very close friends. We're both named Amber Rose. And actually. your dad remains Amber, friends with sorry. him? Um. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well that's nice. Yeah. He seems like a pretty uh earnest, authentic guy, that Neil Young fella. So does Stockwell actually.
2: Yeah, they're 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 complicated dudes.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's what makes them interesting. <laughs> so and you started acting when you were a kid.
2: Yeah, eleven.
0: On a soap. Yes. And that was shot here? Yeah. Was it like the only soap shot here? No, there was a What was it? Which the, one? General
2: Hospital. Ah. Um there was a couple of them. I think. I I honestly don't know. That's one of those things, too, where I think people assume because you were on a soap opera that you know other people on soap operas. So I'll always have someone come up to me and say, do you know, um, uh, you know, uh, Gold Weathersmith from One Life to Live. I'm like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, an a, awesome name. But... I was 11. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, no, I don't. I don't know. I'm not buddies with everybody else from Soaps.
0: Was it, but when you, like, because, like, I read a good portion of the book and mm-hmm. I read the, the back part, which seems more autobiographical, mm-hmm. the epilogue. And, like, I've, I've read some poetry. I've written some poetry in my life. I like it. It's, some of it was a little painful. And all of it is a little uh, dark. I know that uh, that there's light within it, <laughs> but the meditation on the death of actresses, particularly young actresses, over the course of the history of show business, um, you all right?
2: <laughs> You're actually talking to a ghost right now. <laughs> Are you okay? You're- I'm dead inside. yeah um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm good. This this book was uh, what got me there, you know. That was the that's the exorcism right there.
0: Dark Sparkler. Yes. But what like having been acting since you were 11 and having success at it throughout and, and doing big and small parts in television and in movies um, and having a, being brought up in it. Even some of the emails you shared at the back of the book with your father what was it that created the the meltdown?
2: Well, it's interesting because uh, I thought that I was writing a book about the lives and deaths of child star actresses and and actresses that had sort of succumbed to death in one way or another, whether it was suicide or they had murdered or whatever, before the age of 40. Um, and, and that's what it originally started out as. And uh, just in the research of it and um, the research of these women over time, i um, the book took six years to write, and so about three three years in after studying them, I really started to uh, unravel. And I was sort of thinking that I was studying them from a distance, and right. I really wasn't at all. I was, in a way, studying myself because I was studying the interior lives of these women, yeah, um, and learning so much about them and seeing a lot of similarities and. Um, also this sense of uh, when are you allowed to ask yourself the question, if you've been acting since you were that young, when are you allowed to ask yourself the question whether that's actually what you really want to do or not? And I had never asked myself that question until, until I started writing this book.
0: Um, and, that, and and that's at, at how old are you? 31. Well, that's good. It didn't happen when you were 40. <laughs> Maybe you're going to avoid the fate.
2: Right. I, I mean... I, 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 I do feel like the book in in its you know, in its study and in its journey actually was a death for me, which is what I had to embrace. I think in Western culture there's so much um emphasis on death as a very negative thing and it's a very literal thing and that if you contemplate At the very it,
0: least it's a final thing. Yes. in a way.
2: Yeah. But also that we're not supposed to think about it, talk about it, yeah. Th- say you want it. Yeah. Say you're interested in it. Right. That it means something to you. Right. And for me this was This writing of this book was the shedding of of a skin and was the death of me as a child actress, you know, which is something that had been really hard in my adult life was separating myself from that and seeing myself as an actual um, adult and treating myself that way. So...
0: Well, show business, like the one thing that kind of runs through the book and also I imagine through your life and, and I think probably through your father's life, especially somebody who is coddled by the studio system. Yeah. Is that... There is this idea of validation. There is this parental sort of almost, it's not even godlike, but it's sort of like, do I look pretty? Am I I doing good? Like, there's this weird, almost childlike, it's infantilizing.
2: Yeah. It's very much us, it's very much as a culture projecting onto people. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. what celebrity, celebrityism is. And that's also what these people have, and I have experienced to a certain extent as well, uh... Is just the sense that you are a you are projected upon, and you also for a living project. So mm-hmm. you that's what you do is you are not yourself for a living, and then in your personal life you are also not allowed to be yourself because everybody else is going to look at you and tell you and treat you.
0: They have their own relationship with Correct. you based on their idea. Correct. But 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 just the fact that like so much of being an actor uh, is about validation. Mm-hmm. That like it, it always sort of strikes me even like I used to do a joke where I used to say it took me years to learn that Hollywood wasn't my parents. That like you're sort of <laughs> <laughs> like you kind of I like that. Well, it's it's weird, though, because like when you call your manager, you call your agent yeah. or you're trying to go out on things. The, the conversation is like, you know, am I good? Was I good enough? Am I, you know, am I funny? Do you love me? Oh, yeah. And, and it's so it maintain. And I think the entire culture is infantilized on some level. But to be an actress and to be in that 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 rare air of being insulated and protected like that there's the outside and the inside of the individual and what people bring to it but there's also this weird emotional relationship with the fucking business and expectations yeah. like cuz it seems to me a lot of the 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 sad end to a lot of these people psychologically is just you know the nature of being abandoned
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know by themselves and by the business in a way
2: really it's the abandonment of the self that's you're touching on exactly what was what I learned right. out of all of it, which was just this idea of, you know, and even in the writing of the book, as I was writing about dead actresses and I was drinking a ton and I was taking, as, on purpose, on purpose and taking as many pills or like things that I thought was going to get me closer to them and understand what Method it was. Method writing. Yeah. I thought that that was a great choice. Uh-huh. Um, and in trying to say, what does it feel like to be that numb? What did it feel like for them? Uh huh. Which didn't help me write shit. It didn't help at all. It just made me out of my mind.
0: It doesn't, um, doesn't generally help. No, it
2: doesn't. I was not, it was not very Charles Bukowski about it. it just did not,
0: did you not gotta work, live it. It did not work for me. <laughs> um, yeah. It might
2: have worked for that guy, but I was like... Well, I think
0: that was his first yeah. love. Yes. Like the, <laughs> the, the life has got to be the first love if you're going to live that life. Yeah. You can't just kind of dabble in it.
2: Yeah, exactly. You should
0: have become a real drug addict.
2: Yeah, But I kept telling myself, I kept saying, why is this happening to me? Why is all of this stuff happening to me? Why is, you know, uh, why can't I, why don't I want to, why am I not killing in my auditions anymore? The way that when I was a kid, I just, I could kill, I could walk in a room and kill it. Why wasn't that happening? Why wasn't I getting, you know, the jobs that I wanted, that I did go in and I thought I killed for? Why? Everything felt like it was happening to me. And that I wasn't happening to anything else. Right. And the realization and the study of that and this and, and, you know, by proxy studying all these women was that uh, that was unequivocally not true. And that I was not taking ownership for my own life because for so many years I had no identity in a yeah, certain sense there sure. was I, that had not been nurtured I didn't know how that uh, was supposed to get nurtured and this is from a chick with awesome parents who were still married and cool and whatever and had a great artistic upbringing and even myself, within myself in my mid-twenties was I was thinking who am I I've lived I've already lived ten lives yeah. and I'm only like twenty five years old right and I, I want to quit and I want to end I oh. would like to end I would like to know what it feels like to cease yeah uh, and that became a very attractive mantra to me. Um, and I know that sounds like I, I'm saying I was suicidal or something, but that's not it. It was just the the sense of stopping, of, of stopping I, after you've been going for so long.
0: Right. And also with that, with having a fragile sense of self, mm-hmm. uh, I've talked about that. Before about suicidal ruminations, and, and I, I, I did it. I don't usually bring up my jokes, but I think maybe you would enjoy them. Uh, I used to say that you know, it's not that I I, I don't want to kill myself, I just find it relaxing to know that I can, right? If I have to.
2: Well, that's a really beautiful way of looking at it.
0: It's a spiritual reprieve of a faithless person, yeah, and a very self centered person, yeah. It, it's not so much a, like because real suicidal people they they kind of mean business, yeah, but uh, those of us who are just, you know, it, it there, it's. There's a there's a there's a difference between I want to be done and like you know uh, a, a deep sense of sadness for yourself.
2: Yeah, very much so.
0: So well, Jesus Christ! And, and, and... well,
2: it was it was that uh, you know that that idea too of why is everything happening to me and why are all these things going wrong? Why isn't
0: well, why isn't. Why isn't it happening for me? was the real question.
2: Right. But the truth of the matter was is that I needed to stop. that the, the, that that's what was the universe was telling me that yeah. I, I was telling myself,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you aren't nothing is happening for you here because this this is dead to you. This acting. Well, not even acting, but the machine in which I was brought up in and the way in which I was brought up in, which was to kill in an audition room and was to have no opinion other than to like know how to kill in an audition room. And that's it. That's all I knew how to do. And it was my way of saying, you will not survive this Mm. because there's so much more I wanted to do. I wanted to direct. I wanted to write a book that was important that was uh, that showed what kind of writer I could be I I, I wanted these things I just didn't know how to make them happen Mm -hmm. and so instead it was just like oh just keep doing the same thing you're always doing which is don't try to go outside of the box don't try to be bigger or better or uh, prove to yourself that you can do more and and ultimately that's exactly what I needed to do was to stop acting for a, a fucking minute just take a damn breather
0: yeah uh, and panic. that's when
2: everything started to change
0: sure when he's like you sort of start, you know how you take a breather and you stop and you realize you have to stop giving a shit for whatever reason right that's when everything starts to happen yeah when you're like fuck it <laughs> and you really believe it but like to separate from that idea of like because it must have been that thing it's it's a like i know it from being a kind of mid-level celebrity myself mm-hmm. and i just achieved mid-levelness mm-hmm. like I, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. so you you know you you rely on like you're constantly making those calls of like why why why, am i going in on that why am i not going in on that who's going in on that why is that and when you hear yourself i would imagine run that shit through your mind now in retrospect you're like what a fucking waste of life yeah what a waste of time
2: yeah it's it's a sense of just hitting uh you know hitting a wall over and over again and um uh and that's very much what I was doing. I was, I was uh, cutting off my nose to spite my face. I was telling <laughs> yeah. myself, yeah. this is all I'll ever amount to right? Uh, because I don't have any control. You right. know? I, don't, I, don't, I can only do that. I can only make the phone call to my agent and put everything into their hands and go, right. why isn't this working out? Why isn't this happening?
0: And then you start, then you, you, you start to think that they're your friends or something.
2: Yeah, I, I, <laughs> Well, I mean, in the book, you know, uh, I was with an agency for f- a huge agency for 15 years. And um, I remember this was right around the time I took, like I said, the book took six years to yeah. write and I took a year off in there. And it was right around this time It was also when David and I got married. It was a really weird fucking year. It was an awful, awful, awful year. The year we got married. Yeah. That was that the was only good part. good part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else was terrible. Uh-huh. But. I had like a parting with an agency that was terrible, didn't care about the, uh, you know, could care less about the movie that I had written that, uh, you know, I had the rights for that. I had good financing relationships and had people attached like Alfred Molina and um, Janet McTeer. And there there was like no sense that they cared. Did you make it? Yeah. Made it in December. And it's fucking
0: awesome. When's it coming out?
2: Still editing it. It's um it's almost we're almost done. is in it? Yeah.
0: And you directed it?
2: And I directed it and I wrote it. Wow. But I didn't that didn't happen until I left that agency.
0: They're not gonna do anything.
2: They're not, but you just that's exactly right, where you start treating them like friends. And that's the wrong thing to do. But when also when you're I think a kid actor, your sense of boundaries with other adult with adults is so blurred and, and you also are constantly trying to get approval. Like, yeah. Did I do good in the scene? Did I, I knew all my lines. You know, there's a real terrifying sense of uh, boundaries with adults. And so that's something I very much took into my adult life in my, around that time, which is how I could have stayed for so long with people that did not care.
0: Right. But also your, your dad was in it. Yeah. Like there was like, there was sort of like a. And it, it broke his heart. It really did. I I could see that just in. In that email exchange, which should be sort of an uplifting email exchange, where he's basically like, "Yeah, you're great," and you'll get maybe it'll be a comedy next time, but it's horrible in yeah. a way. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, because he knows it so intimately, yeah. he knows the heartbreak, he knows the disappointment. Yeah, you know, he's been through it all before. Yet he's not able to tell you like, "Get out, <laughs> Jesus, get the fuck out." Yeah. Did he ever say that?
2: Uh, no, but you know, he also uh, for him it was really painful because he. You know, went back to Topanga in the 60s, did all that. And then he tried to cu- when he had me and he married my mom. He tried to get into acting again in the 80s and nobody knew who he was because he'd been gone for 20 years, 15 years. This
0: before Twin Peaks?
2: Way before Twin Peaks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. I mean, he, he had been gone for anywhere from 10 to 15. What was he doing? He was in Topanga. He was doing art. He was part of the Seminole culture movement. He he, and he's a beautiful collage artist. I mean, he's he's had work all over the world, and uh, it's why I also dedicated the book to him because it's important that even my dad, at eighty years old, sees that that's not the only thing he is. Just because that's what he's most known for acting, he's he's also been working on a biography for. You know 10 years and so i wrote i dedicated to him as an author because that's what matters yeah. is that he also does not accept his own pigeonholing right and knows that he is a value beyond uh beyond that part of his life the acting yeah
0: it's so bizarre it's so specific how yeah. how it fucks with your head yeah like even in that piece about um like when you were a kid and you were at that party or something, and Leonardo DiCaprio was there? Oh, was yeah. That,
2: That's a true story.
0: The night where you... What, that was your first kiss night? Yeah. But the detail that was interesting is that you were dressed like a chola because <laughs> you sort of aspired to that. Like, there's yeah. this weird thing when well, you... growing up
2: in Venice, too. I mean, those are my only friends.
0: Right. But, gonna... like, there's... But that sense of of wavering identity.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: You know, and the fact that you got into acting, you know, so young, and you were supposed to sort of become other people for a living... But you never took the time, or you never had the the the, the inner workings to to be good with yourself.
2: Childhood is tr- is also a real time of introspection. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really uh, when you're supposed to be when, when your inner life is finding itself, yeah. and you who you who you are, who you want to be, is mm-hmm. very much defined by. Uh, The actions of your life and and by the relationships you have with people. Um, And I just didn't have normal versions of that whatsoever. Um, Mine were always trying to appease adults. And uh, I had a job that my, you know, that none of my friends had that I had to be responsible for. I paid the bills. I I mean, that's, that was my life.
0: And how out there were your folks? I mean, were you in Topanga?
2: No, 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 no. That was uh, Topanga was thing for my dad, like in the sixties.
0: So your your parents. So he's been married to your mom for a little longer than you've been
1: alive.
2: Yes, oh. uh, they've uh, and they yeah they moved to um, Venice with with actually with Dennis Hopper and his um, his then wife uh, in the early eighties, yeah. like eighty seventy nine, something like that.
0: Yeah, Hopper like uh, that must have been wild to yeah. have him around. Yeah. An old buddy of mine, I think uh, married one of his daughters. Hmm. I don't know which one or from which <laughs> Isn't there a couple of litters? Yeah,
2: he's yeah, he's got he's got some he's got he's got it some kids. Um, yeah. And Henry his son is a is a real sweetheart. And I actually hadn't seen I hadn't seen Henry since um since Dennis died and it was a very tough ending for him. And I ran into Hen- Henry just randomly, I remember on um Abbott Kinney I hadn't seen him in maybe 10 years yeah and uh, uh, we just hugged each other and cried on the street I mean and I hadn't seen the kid in so long and I just it was really wild
0: well there's a very like it's the type of childhood you guys had is so specific yeah it's not like you can run into anybody like god when we were kids we all did this because that crew of people that you know, grew up with those parents who were out of their minds in the '60s and yeah. were actors, and, yeah. that, and the way that all that changed, and specifically show business. There's only like how many of them are you? Yeah, there's a small crew, really.
2: Yeah, right? I I would imagine, and I don't know, I actually don't know any other. I don't have friends that are, uh, you know, like I know uh, Rashida Jones, but I don't really know her that well. But I imagine she had some version of that, right? It, but right. like we don't, we've never talked about that. I don't know, right. Uh, there's no there's no crossing over of...
0: Yeah, it's like the Zappa kids. You yeah, know, there's like, right, it, right, 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 These are worlds into themselves. Yeah. You Matt, Quincy Jones, can you imagine that being your dad? I know. And then when you talk to these people, they're like, yeah, he's just my dad. I'm like, no, he can't. I can't be real. <laughs> he's just like that guy. So There's no
2: way yeah. his dick made you. No way.
0: <laughs> well, it's just like you, you get these ideas because in, in the minds of civilians... You know these people are sort of immortal. They're like they're they you know oh yeah you know there's no way for me to even assess Neil Young as just a guy. Even though I interviewed tons of people here, yeah. I'm still sort of like well, if you, he
2: was sitting across from me, you you just would be. Well,
0: I'd be like, holy shit! But they all turn out to just be guys. Yeah, you know, and then these guys, people find the time to do the work, and then and uh, they just eat and go to the bathroom like other people. Yeah, and okay. wander around. Yeah, <laughs> thinking. about That's things. what I
2: was trying to say in my book.
0: I get it. I get it. Let
2: me really drive it home for you, Mark, okay?
0: Well, which one, like, out of all these? Like, I had to look up some of them.
2: Some of them are fake, too.
0: Yeah, and uh, this is...
2: <laughs> that's a,
0: She must be thrilled about that. That's the it? number
2: one question I get is what? for interviews is that. Is, uh, Mark is holding up my book to me, and he's... Uh, showing me the poem for... Each Each poem is titled after the actress. So this one's for Lindsay Lohan, and it's just a blank page.
0: Not very optimistic.
2: Well, so my question to you would be, what does that mean to you? What, you you oh. don't think it's very optimistic.
0: Well, you know, like, my... I think I feel that, like... I don't like the sordid tabloidization of things that much. Like, there's part of everybody that's sort of like, ooh. But, like, I, you know, being a sober person myself... With somebody like her, there, there, bec- there's just this part where you're like, you know, you could, you, know, you, you don't have to go down like this. Mm-hmm. However, it's going to go down. Right. But they've been saying this for years about her, so he's going to. There's right. no way it can end well, and they're probably not going to end well. But it could go on for longer than anyone anticipated.
2: What were you like when you were 18 years old? Like, were you a nightmare?
0: No, I was uh, very sensitive. Very sensitive. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think I became a nightmare until about 20. One. Right. You know, I'd say that when your husband, David Cross Never heard of him. Uh, met me in college. Is that he was, bald? Yes. Hmm. He well, you know, I think he's still got some on the sides, but he, yeah, but yeah, I And in other places. He's a hairy man. He's a hairy guy. Well, he's not really like he's not that hairy, like not Italian hairy, but he's got that weird nipple hair, right?
2: <laughs> I don't think he has nipple hair.
0: Oh, okay. Maybe I'm thinking of another guy that I knew back in the day.
2: that That's also <laughs> named David Cross with nipple hair?
0: No, we, we'd go to the beach, Dave and I, with a group of people. Oh. I kind of remembered, uh, I thought I remembered that. Maybe it's a detail. I enough. wonder
2: if, if he laid on the beach and got sunburned and then I shaved his whole body, if it would just.
0: He's got it on his shoulders? He doesn't.
2: He doesn't really. I mean, he's got some on his chest and right. his stomach. I think it's on his stomach.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a scattered. It's scattered. I remember Dave. Well, the point being, I met Dave when I was in college, and he was in college.
2: I don't know how we just went from Lindsay Lohan to- We're getting there. My husband's chest hair.
0: I, I, well, it's it's a few easy steps. <laughs> You're asking me, how was I when I was 18? Like, and I was telling you that I didn't start losing control of my life until, because we were talking about Lindsay, and I thought right. that's where you were going.
2: It is. And I brought it up to say that- uh, what she what she has gone through when she went through as a teenager is insanely normal. There was nothing about the behavior that was different, weird, strange. When mm-hmm. I was her age, when I was sixteen, I when I was tw- thirteen, I crashed my parents' car. Mm-hmm. I got my nipples pierced when I was sixteen. I was really? a nightmare. Yeah. I was I was a crazy kid. Meaning that she. There was nothing that crazy about her other than she just was living the life of a real teenage girl uh, very, very, very publicly. Right. Um, So my my reasoning for putting that poem in there like that was to say, I'm not going to project on you what everybody else does. And I'm going to let people project onto this page what they feel. It's really sort of a statement about... That exactly about how we sort of look at someone and go, "Here's your fate. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. You know, you're going to end this way," um, because she's the ultimate, uh, the ultimate personification of that.
0: Right, right, but it's like in the context of this book, it's not a not. It doesn't seem like it. right,
2: but the book isn't just about deaths. It's also about. Uh, Glamorization and projection And how people are treated as objects So in that vein it's My statement to that was just like I'm not going to write The poem for you where you die But I am going to put your name in here Because that everybody else does So I'm going to go down the same road But I'm just not going to say What your ending is going to be I'm not going to do that to you Whereas everyone else is like She's probably going to die in a couple of years right. Let's be honest
0: Okay, I get it But uh, Outside of all those other themes, I mean, most of these, it doesn't end well for anybody in here, really, does it?
2: It might end well for her.
0: No, but I'm talking in general the tone of the book. I mean, you know, the exploration was what happens to these women. And what did you find ultimately, like, as you did all this research and some of the stuff at the end of the book where you showed that the what you had to search and and what the research was yeah how how were you not going to become more depressed and horrified i,
2: I was depressed and horrified and um
0: and what was dave doing during all this was he worrying me out? You-
2: <laughs> worrying about me um you know, he, I even have a poem for him in there where he's, and he did. The wife poem? Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. Where that was he, very sweet. He says, uh, and he did say to me, I remember when I was ha- halfway through it researching dead actresses. Um, and he said, don't, please don't get obsessed. And I, at that point I was far, far into obsession land. I mean, it, there was just no turning back
0: from and it. And you couldn't define what the obsession was. What was it exactly that was driving you? What was the morbid fascination? What were you, did you think you were going to arrive at?
2: I I was in admiration of their deaths. I was in admiration of the idea of non-existence, of stopping. You know, when okay, I go yeah. back to that same theme, it was like, you know, and and and, and the idea of, of being immortalized in that way.
0: Um, well, I didn't know so many of these. And that one, when I started looking people up, I, I think the first one I looked up, Was that was Judith? Judith Barsi. So sad. Yeah, it's brutal. It's horrendous, and I'm like, I don't know if I can do this whole book right now.
2: Yeah, it's tough.
0: And some of these women lived longer and had longer careers. Than than just childhood actresses.
2: Very true, and there's some of them, uh, like Frances Farmer. She doesn't right. she doesn't technically fall into the guidelines of what the book is, which is women around my age that died. Which is ultimately what the whole thing is. I wasn't going to write about anyone in right. their 40s or whatever right. that, had, that had lived. Mm-hmm. You know, that 30 in the 30s felt like those. That was the group of women, and and 30 and below mm-hmm. was the group that interested me because that's what I was closest to so that's what I could relate to. But Frances Farmer, you know, she died in her late 50s but a lot of people said she was in and out of mental institutions for a very long time when she was younger and there, you know, she's infamously someone who potentially was lobotomized. Mm -hmm. So I had this crazy idea of what if, what if I wrote a poem from the idea that Frances Farmer's been dead since she was 28 years old and now she's just a zombie and walking on a red carpet with, like, her pieces of her body parts falling off and <laughs> no one recognizes. They're just like, Frances, what are you wearing? Yeah. And she just, you know, there's, like, black worms <laughs> coming out of her mouth, and which is kind of, you close. know, sometimes I, I look at red yeah. carpets, I look at these women.
0: Yeah. If you squint, you can see the worms. Who,
2: yeah, who are my peers and it's like, you know, everyone's just trying to get back to their birth weight you know it's like it's insane yeah you can see right through them
0: yeah it's scary sometimes yeah it's a it's a little disturbing yeah uh, show business man yeah what the fuck it's fucked up it is right yep let's go through more of these jane mansfield ah Brittany murphy that was sad
2: yeah that was the first one that i wrote
0: really that's where it started that was the catalyst did you know her
2: I didn't at all. Um, Hmm. This book was a complete accident. Uh, I wrote this piece for Brittany. Um, She's the only one in the book who was a contemporary peer of mine, Mm -hmm. meaning I never knew her, but we always went on the same auditions. The only time I ever was in proximity proximity to her was when we both went in for an audition for 8 Mile, and she ended up getting that movie. But I remember she came out of the audition room, and I went in, so we passed each other. Mm -hmm. Never met her, but... I thought she was incredibly talented and uh, the mystery surrounding her death that still remains um, really fascinated me. And it also it also fascinates me that people move to Los Angeles specifically with the idea that they want to become famous and somehow. Somehow, but she was she was an example of somebody, if you read interviews with her, all that stuff, she knew since she was a little kid she wanted to be an actress. Right. That's what she wanted. Her mother moved her out to Los Angeles when she was young. She worked really hard. She got there, and then as most people do, you know, f- the fame goes away. That's that sort of blast of beginning fame when you first get it, it goes away, and then you're sort of stuck with whoever you are and what you've turned into during that time, and either you hate that... Or you're okay with it. Yeah. You know, but that takes a lot of work. So to me, I wrote this, I wrote that piece sort of to say, you know, it, it was a, it was a love letter in, in a sense to say from one girl who was born and raised here who has a totally, me, who has a totally different relationship with Los Angeles than most people do. I don't hate it here. I don't feel lonely here. I don't, I don't get the sense of, uh, you know, Hollywood is the only thing that matters about Los Angeles, which the, is, I the think... The
0: creepiness, you don't feel the creepiness. I don't
2: creepiness. feel the creepiness uh, yeah. as much. Right. Um, to somebody who lost their life there, and then after the fact, I remember the seeing her on the cover of People magazine in this long, silver, beautiful silver dress, just gorgeous, just totally immortalized, like Brittany Murphy, you know, the yeah. life of a star. Yeah. Lost so soon, and they always write that shit, Right. Right. And nobody wanted to talk about uh, the epidemic of drug use. Nobody wanted Nobody wanted to write about or talk about all the different drugs, the things. Or if they did, it was always salacious. Uh, nobody really wanted to
0: address... Whatever that fucking relationship she was in.
2: Whatever was going on there. What the hell was yeah. going on there? And... Uh,
0: because that's the underside of this machine here. Yeah. Is that as much as the the, the glamour and the the movies and and the yeah. upside of it. there's a, I, I would argue a more powerful dark side that that's being marketed even harder. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it's like, because just along with that article, like, they didn't want to cover that. But I, I guarantee you, if you went to TMZ or any of those other ones, they're like all up in that shit. Yeah. It's, uh, and everything's like... Do you, I had this weird... Moment where I'm like, when they started doing like Inside Hollywood and those kind of news yeah, shows, yeah. I was like, D- they're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, that's like, can't. People, yeah. we're supposed to. They're the, they're the makers of the illusion. That's right. Don't drag their garbage out into the world. That's right. Can we protect them somehow? That's right. That's but then very. I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty. Well, of
2: we're it. all guilty of it. I mean, that's that's part of it. You know, oh,
0: it's getting me all broken hearted. And I
2: remember when. um When I, if you and I read her autopsy, I mean, I read everything. All these women, I've read all their autopsies, Um, but hers and the way they found her, like crumpled up in the shower, laying on the ground, and I just thought that is the most heartbreaking thing I've ever heard of a girl who just followed her dreams so hard. She followed it right into death, into this lonely position in this lonely way and she couldn't get work and you know it's the worst case scenario it's the thing you go to bed at night dreaming will never happen to you Uh, like it's your worst fear (sighs) is that no one will want you anymore
0: who is Heather O'Rourke
2: Heather O'Rourke was in the movie Poltergeist yeah and actually Heather and uh, the other one that's in there um You know, she says, it's sort of written like a a movie scene. Yeah, Um, yeah. Heather uh, was in Poltergeist with um, Dominic Dunn. That's who it is.
0: Oh, she's dead, too. That was her older sister. They were both... It's so
2: weird. They were both in Poltergeist together. Yeah. And uh, Dominic Dunn... was murdered right. and Heather O'Rourke died of some very strange uh, like a lung infection or pneumonia they weren't really sure but she was very very young um, but they were both in that movie together and they died s- sort of sort of close I think uh, closely after each other like was that one
0: where they built the, 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 the condos on the Indian graveyard oh bird?
2: yes that is it yeah
0: they shouldn't have done that yeah that's caused nothing but pain for everybody <laughs>
2: The other one in there, uh, <laughs> yeah. Those poor those those poor people. Um,
0: yeah, it's just a mistake. It's just sad. Yeah, the other one. Uh,
2: the one that killed me was the Bridget Anderson uh, Savannah piece. Um, Bridget Anderson was in uh, was a child actress in a movie called Savannah Smiles, um, yeah. which she was very po- which was a very popular film. But she grew up and couldn't get work in her teens and, tw- and then committed, su- not committed suicide on purpose, but did a ton of drugs and ended up uh, oh. overdosing and dying. And then Shannon Michelle Wisely was a porn star. Na- um, her her screen name was Savannah.
0: Right, she used to date Polly?
2: Yes. Yeah. And she shot herself in the head. Oh,
0: my God. But
2: she, what was so interesting, when I started researching her, the connection between these two women was... And I'd read all this stuff about Shannon and... Uh, I finally got this weird, I got my hands on this weird book, this weird autobiography of her. And I learned, which is why I wanted to cover her, because she was... Savannah? As, yeah, which, mm-hmm. because many porn stars try to get out of the business and try to get into acting, uh, the porn industry. And so she t- was talking about that, and she'd really tried hard before she killed herself uh, to become an actress. And then there was this one little quote in the book where sh- they say, where, do you, where did you get the name Savannah from? And she said, Oh, my favorite movie growing up was Savannah Smiles. I love that movie about a young girl that runs away from home and then everyone comes and gets her and saves her and, you know, her family comes and rescues her.
0: Oh, it's just heartbreaking.
2: Yeah. And if she had only known the the, the irony uh, of that connection, been able to see it, um, to see how these patterns uh, unfold when you don't do any work on your interior life, um, you know, there might have been some different hope for her. Mm-hmm. That, I, I like to think that but that's me again that's my own projection
0: so you were really in it you were really completely obsessed
2: mm-hmm.
0: making connections and, and that's all why I
2: started to write fake actresses it was to supplement a way for me to get out my own thoughts and feelings about maybe things I'd been through but also just the worst thing I could imagine the worst thing I could make up in my head and then to write a poem for well, thank that thank God
0: for the epilogue yeah where you sort of come out of it in yeah. a way, yeah, and at least like it, it seemed like the one part of the, like you you had to go out of your way to be like ground yourself,
2: yeah. Well, that's what the search the search list is too, which took so fucking long to put together. But it's just a series of every single actress that I could find um, in the you know national archives and a- across the world, and I had uh my assistant Jessica and Harper Collins and um this woman who works at the National Archives I was trying like finding every single name in recorded history yeah. around the world of an actor of an actress who died before the age of 40 and just to list them and that's what we did so i'd be hard pressed for anybody to look at this book and fi- tell me a name that i forgot that's not in there they are every well, single so hopefully one hopefully that's
0: there. not who's <laughs> coming to the book I don't know, but God forbid someone says I think you missed, you know, No,
2: but the point in saying is that, uh, you know, at all of them, you don't recognize is that celebrity that the infamy of that of that state of mind of that celebrity of, oh, my gosh, I didn't, you know, I didn't get this or I'm not being featured in this or I'm, you know, that that attitude. None of it matters and that none of none of their celebrity deaths mattered. All that mattered was their interior life. Um, and that giving, so giving voices to that is in a way some sort of post mortem healing, I think. I you think know? so.
0: I, I agree with you.
2: Or okay. that at some point somebody will read it and go, like, wow, that's, you know, an interesting way to look at it.
0: Well, when did you start writing poetry?
2: I started for when real. I was, for real, is when I was 12. Um, I'd written a poem called Kill Me So Much, which mm-hmm. was um uh, early feminist political I just used the F word on your show
0: it's okay I can handle it what
2: the feminist yeah um, it's gonna be the offshoot I'm gonna yeah. do an offshoot podcast
0: what the feminist yeah you, you should it's 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 needed now
2: it'll just be me and Kathleen Hannah and a bunch of
0: dildos there you go
2: it was even at that time and it's in my first book my first I put out t- three books now but the first one was uh, poems I'd written from age 12 to like 21 mm-hmm. and um uh, it was very much a uh, an ode to my writing mentor, Jack Hirschman, who's the Poet Laureate of San Francisco, and another person I was raised around, a lot of the beat poets, as my dad was good friends with them. Which ones? Lawrence Ferlinghetti, Michael McClure, Diane DiPrima—that whole the
0: ones that were still alive,
2: the ones that were still alive. That's <laughs> yeah. right, that's right. And so and those are San
0: Francisco guys. Yeah. Does DiPrima live up there? Yeah, she does. And she wrote the foreword to your book. She was also sort of like right. a uh, like a, a biographer of the Beats too, wasn't she? Kind of, was she always just
2: no? She was. Um, she did write a book called Recollections: My Life as a Woman, which is an extraordinary. Yeah. With,
0: yeah, yeah, okay. But she but... was the
2: only. She was the only woman. In, a, in that group. Um,
0: what a nightmare that must have been.
2: Well, she was, you know, she, <laughs> like very, very tough Italian, uh, you know, mm-hmm. believed that men were a luxury. She did not feel like she needed anybody to help her raise her kids. Mm-hmm. She had kids from all different men. I mean, just like she was she's the original uh, feminist gangster, in my uh-huh. opinion. Okay. So when she offered to write that forward, I almost fell off my chair.
0: A sweet forward
2: yeah it's pretty she so grew lovely. up with
0: uh with like uncle F- larry, uh, larry ferlinghetti around is that what you're telling me? You?
2: <laughs> larry ferlinghetti yeah. lawrence ferlinghetti yeah. uh i didn't i don't really know lawrence that well he's yeah. a he's it's an gotta, odd bird
0: it's gotta be a hundred now he is yeah
2: yeah he he gave me a quote from my first book and i remember when i met up with him with jack hirschman at a at a coffee shop in. Um, san francisco and i said thank you so much for doing this it's really sweet i this quote is beautiful i'm so honored and he just looked at me and was like you have really nice hair <laughs> okay well um, all right i don't know what to.
0: i think that's a poem they just gives yeah. like a... i was like
2: i don't know how to move on from that yes yeah. that's so right. much for
0: feminism <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thank you <laughs> with the question mark.
0: And Macora was like the younger of the beats, it seemed. Like he was uh, He was, yeah. yeah. He, he
2: is. He's um, you know, they're all they're all getting up there and
0: uh Who is your favorite? Who's your favorite poet in general?
2: Who's my favorite poet in general? Yeah. That's such a big question. Mo- modern or uh classic?
0: I mean who do you read? Like who do you go back to?
2: Um I go back to uh Louise Gluck. Mm-hmm. Love her. Um, I go back to Bob Hickok. He's one of my favorite writers. Um, there's a guy, Jeffrey McDaniel, that's really, really, really a fantastic writer, um, beautiful poet. But I love like Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I Anne Sexton. She's to me probably one of the most important poets um, yeah, I think you would really love a book called Alien versus Predator by mm-hmm. Michael Robbins.
0: Oh, see, I don't know any of these people. Um,
2: yeah, I, you you would you of all people would take that, that, okay, book for sure.
0: So, I'm glad you wrote this. It seems to have saved your life. Yes. And these drawings, some of the paintings are by David Lynch, mm-hmm. and some are by who?
2: There's uh David Lynch, um, Marilyn Manson, Marcel Dezama. Adrian to mine. he does a lot of the um, covers of the New Yorker. Uh huh. Um, Kid Koala, my dad did one. the The one with the woman falling down the Hollywood sign is my dad's collage.
0: Oh, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you came through this. Mm-hmm. Dave Cross, your husband, an old friend of mine. Please, please you don't there. please
2: don't call him Dave. Why? Just call him David.
0: Slappy, Slappy Cross. <laughs> do you, do do you ever call him that? Does anyone call him that around you?
2: No, is that an old an old nickname? You don't know
0: Slappy? I don't. Really?
2: No. A slap? Come on. I All don't. Right. Well now you do. Oh man, I can't wait. Um I like to call him Jennifer
0: Aniston. That's I think that that's your nickname. hmm Um no Slap was something that a few there was a few guys. Yeah, I think that's uh, Mark Rivers, John Ennis. Yeah. Oh yeah. Those are those would be Slappies. Got it back that far but what do you so he's he supported you through all this Mm -hmm. like a good man yes see it's really difficult for me because like we have we haven't talked about cross at all and i got along i know cross a long time and uh and i know you you know him like no one else knows him Mm -hmm. so you're gonna see like even that poem the wife poem he wrote in here is very sweet Mm -hmm. and i know he's very sweet but i'm not gonna you know usually as sweet as dave gets is a a cranky concern You
2: know. Yeah, it's uh, everybody. All of my friends, especially anytime a new friend meets him, or you know, when I was first introducing him to my friends when we were first dating, uh-huh. um, the I, I it never failed. Every single person would say afterwards, "I don't think he likes me very much." <laughs> it yeah. is the most. I,
0: I've I've known him for like thirty years. I, I say yeah. that. I still say that.
2: He's very private, and um, and he's. He doesn't like hugging. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And he just is, um, he's not a bullshitter in the sense that he's just going to suddenly become your friend just because you know his wife. Uh, That's his, that's sort of his feeling. And he's that way about everybody. He just, uh, it takes a minute for him to warm up. But then when he does, I mean, he's the most loyal person I know. So.
0: Yeah. How is he?
2: He's good. He's good.
0: And, and they're going, and they're going on tour with the Mr. Show thing
2: they're not going on tour they are uh shooting um uh they're shooting a show they're shooting a new sketch show really yeah
0: with the same crew
2: everybody yeah the same crew
0: it's gonna be is it called mr show
2: uh i, I mean i can imagine this is gonna air by the time they're that all that's known but it's called with bob and david and it's uh i can't say what you know. Yeah. dang it's on but.
0: Okay. Well good. But let's talk about you. So, I, <laughs> enough about Dave. I've interviewed Dave enough.
2: I actually no. had to uh I wanted to hear his interview on here and I had to buy your fucking premium package Sorry. to do that shit. I, you
0: just wanted, she just asked me for it.
2: No, I I wanted to give you the dollar.
0: Thank you. It's a real it's a re- I I really appreciate. it I know it's a lot of money. I was so
2: but I was so irritated just having to fill out a fucking thing. I'm like this is bullshit.
0: How was that interview for you?
2: I loved it i called him afterwards and i said uh you know i'm so glad that you asked him about his dad you know and you guys talked about his dad it's a thing he doesn't talk about and uh again very private person and and i think it's nice because i think that people assume that he's a dick um and he's he's not he just can be cold and he just can not like i said not warm up to you just because that's what people do uh he he takes a minute. Yeah. He just he takes a minute to And he's serious. He is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, and he's uh and he's uh, a little uh a little cranky sometimes. I don't think he's a dick. I think he's serious. He's a little cranky. He doesn't uh entertain fools <laughs> gladly or at all. Yeah. And uh and I, and I think there there's usually some sort of current of mild frustration going on.
2: There definitely is. Um <laughs> For sure. Uh, especially when he has to hang out with my friends and listen to Drake. Then he gets really <laughs> irritated.
0: That now there's where's that movie? <laughs> <laughs> where's that documentary? Yeah. You got a documentary living in your house with you.
2: Yeah. He's like, Can't we just put on some Nashville pussy? What is this shit?
0: Oh, Dave and his music. I know. Fire hose.
2: Oh god. Put on I can't some fire hose. I cannot keep track. he'll put something on in the car. What?
0: From the old days? Yeah. From the old punk rock days. Yeah,
2: I no, don't I don't I don't get it. He,
0: yeah, he's uh he's a character. But <laughs> he is. So now do you look back at your acting career with any sort of love?
2: Oh a hundred percent, yeah. Uh I think what, I what were the I, high points for you? I think I appreciate it even more. I I, I would say the sisterhood movies, because mm-hmm. I got real friendships out of that. Um, those girls were uh were and are um, very, very good friends. It was that's a freak... Accident that it happened that way, um, because normally you don't, you know. There's always like an undercurrent of uh, not jealousy, but um, uh, you know, competition, yeah. and that never happened with Blake and American Alexis. So I, I would say that 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 those movies were highlights for me for sure.
0: And do you like with this new project? Because mm-hmm. you did a lot of TV work. Do you love uh-huh. the TV work?
2: I do. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's it, it, it's, but you're like a working actress person.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and I hope to and, and have been doing in the last couple of years, uh, especially since selling this book and, you know, getting my film made of producing more and writing more, which is... Um, and directing, which is, all, all, I have now seen what I'm capable of in a really great way, and I believe in myself, so I can't return ever back to the world of just auditioning.
0: And depending on other people.
2: And depending on other people, yeah. And I don't think that would have been possible. Can you talk about book. the
0: movie? What, wh- what, Where did it come from? What's it about? When did you write it?
2: Um it is an adaptation of a uh, a Janet Fitch novel. She wrote White Oleander, and mm-hmm. so it was the novel she wrote after that Painted Black. Um which is about a young man who kills himself and the two women he leaves behind. His mm-hmm. his girlfriend who's a sort of punk rock LA artist, uh nude model, you know, does all that t- type of stuff for money and uh his mother who's a very wealthy world famous concert pianist and these two women blame each other for his death and they uh are constantly attempting to um kill the other person it's good it's like uh it's like if quentin tarantino directed gray gardens
0: is it funny
2: parts of it yeah but it's heavy it's it's heavy but it's uh there are parts of it that are funny it's a melodrama what was it like
0: directing molina I mean, he's a monster. Yeah, he's. I mean, an actor. He's a good. He's
2: incredible. Right. He's just.
0: Um, I mean, I meant monster in the like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah I mean, it, you know, it, it was. Uh, of course, it's nerve wracking, but, um, but at the same time, he's just such a generous person, and, uh, you know, those type of professionals as well. They come in. Janet McTeer was like that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just they come in. They they know which is how I was always raised and uh. Raised, that's hilarious. How I always went into work um, was knowing all my lines, like show, you know, all those things. That's how Fred came in. He came in fully prepared, um, and he's just he's just wonderful, really beautiful in the movie.
0: How were you raised around that? Did your father used to tell you how to behave within your profession?
2: He well, he would take me to the set on you know for seven years when I was on General Hospital. Um, and he would give me acting notes, uh, sort of. I mean, he, he thought I could do better. Where he, did he
0: learn how to act?
2: I don't know how, you, I don't know if you learn anything if you start when you're nine. Um,
0: but I mean, I mean, I would have thought that during the 60s there would have been some, you know, meeting with co-chairs or, or doing the <laughs> Well, he where, was
2: born in 1934, like back when, you know, right. tumbleweeds were all the rage.
0: Sure.
2: Um, and so he was like a kid actor in the '40s, which is crazy to me. Um,
0: and what, would the, what, what were his parents would, that they would let him do that?
2: Um, well, my grandfather was in vaudeville. He was a big vaudeville star, Eddie Tamblin, and right. I actually and he died of a brain tumor. So I put him in the when in my search engine in yeah. the book when I start, when I, which is actually very close to how I would search things. Um, but uh,
0: what was his shtick?
2: I actually don't know my dad has given me this chapter of his book that I haven't had a chance to read yet called Eddie and uh Sally or my grandparents and it's all about them doing they used to tour the Orpheum circuit and uh-huh. uh so you know, my grandfather did maybe one or two movies um huh. and then that was it and then and his they were they was came over. out here, yeah they came out here
0: were uh, from the East coast or
2: no, they were um. They were born here. Huh. Yeah, so I'm third generation from here.
0: Third generation showbiz. Yeah. Now, what's your mom do?
2: My mom is a musician. Um, she plays a 12-string. She's Guitar? Yeah, she's pretty awesome. Uh-huh. Musician, songwriter.
0: Sibs? Got any? S-
2: just, just my sister, my half-sister. The she's
0: half-sister the sister. that you learned of yeah. later. Yeah. And you're close?
2: Yeah, she's fucking awesome. She's a welder. She welds heavy metals. She lives in San Francisco. I I cannot express to you how exciting it was for me as a kid, as terrified as my dad must have been, to have a young 17-year-old with green hair literally knock on the door and go, hi, I'm your daughter. For me, I had, it was like, poof like magic I'd spent my whole life playing with Barbie dolls and all my friends had siblings and I suddenly had this cool teenage sister who played an electric guitar like PJ Harvey who was in an all girl punk band called the Kirby Grips it was like the coolest thing that could have ever happened I suddenly had this awesome older sister
0: rebel angel delivered Yes, yes to save you
2: yeah it's it's really really true from
0: old hippie stuff. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we're here to take you out of hippie land.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Oh, uh, and what's your relationship with David Lynch?
2: Um, David, I know uh, through my dad because my dad was in Twin Peaks. Yeah, right. Um, but I don't really know, know him. him. I don't. I don't know if anybody can really know him. But um. I just had written him, and I actually, it's interesting, because the poem for Sharon Tate in this book, uh, uh, I originally sent him that poem because I thought that that would be the one that he would want to do the artwork for, mm-hmm. and uh, he didn't. He, he, he was disturbed by it. And actually, I think, had written... That's
0: no small task, to disturb David Lynch.
2: Yeah, well... will the... put
0: that as a <laughs> Well,
2: the poem is from the perspective of her unborn child. During Mm -hmm. the murder, Mm -hmm. which was, you know, the only way in which I could approach that subject, I thought, uh, without it um, being taboo was to try to show if if, if I'm writing about the interior lives, the metaphorical interior lives of these women, why not do a poem that's about the literal interior life Mm -hmm. as it's happening? This Mm -hmm. would be the only and honestly, the only way to do it in which it wasn't brutal, that you wouldn't have to talk about the terror that was going on outside of her body. It was sort of like this weird reverse situation. Um, so it's from the perspective of the child on the inside as it's happening and what they're hearing and, you know, seeing these these holes of light like stars coming through. And um, But David, David, I think he had said to me, I don't remember, but something about, he didn't know why such a painful thing needed to be revisited like that, which I was very, su- was very surprised and sort of taken aback. I, I thought for sure that was going to be his... Uh, He'd be into it, but he wasn't. Um, and of course, Marilyn Manson was like, yes, that's the poem for me. Um, but uh, but David, I I knew briefly through um, just because of dad and doing Twin Peaks. You know, when, when for a moment I thought he wasn't going to do it, I shared this story with him. I emailed and said that, um, which is true, I wasn't allowed to watch Twin Peaks. Um, I was too young. But what I would do is the way my parents' apartment is... Uh, set up is where their TV was I used to watch um, I think it was on Thursdays or something I used to watch every single week I'd you know quote unquote go to bed but then mm-hmm. I would I had a Hello Kitty mirror and I would stick it around the side of the door and I'd watch the whole show on a Hello Kitty mirror
0: oh that's commitment yeah so yeah. I
2: told him that and he was like Ugh, god <laughs> Fine.
0: (laughs) So they're both okay, your folks? Yeah. And you get along with them?
2: Oh, yeah. Very, very very close with both of them.
0: And now you're going to go back home upstate?
2: No, uh, go back to Brooklyn. Yeah.
0: You guys still have the house upstate? Yes. And you got an apartment in Brooklyn? Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. So how much time do you spend upstate? None. (laughs) Oh,
2: really? I mean, I think I've been there once, you know, but I had to direct, direct a movie and I had to play here. What about
0: him? Is he up there?
2: No, he's he's here in L.A.
0: He's here now? Yeah. Oh, working on the thing?
2: Yeah. And then he goes straight to London to do uh, another season of Todd Margaret. Really? Yeah, they're doing a third season.
0: It's like years later.
2: I know. They've had a really good idea for how to make that happen and, uh, and it works. For IFC? Yeah.
0: Oh, well, that's exciting. Yeah. Okay, well, it was great talking to you. you feel satisfied? I
2: do. I feel very good.
0: Do you want to read a poem? Are your, you like? all
2: your listeners going to be turning this off right now?
0: Hell no. <laughs> what one would you read?
2: Um, maybe you'll maybe read the Brittany Murphy one. It's short enough, I think. <laughs> As he slowly hands over the book.
0: I like them being read.
2: I shall read. It's a nice thing. Brittany Murphy. Her body dies like a spider's. In the shower, the blooming flower seeds a cemetery. A pill lodges in the inner pocket of her flesh coat. Her breasts were the gifts of ghosts, dark tarps of success. Her mouth dribbles over onto the bathroom floor, Pollock blood. The body is lifted from the red carpet, put in a black bag, taken to the mother's screams for identification. The country says good things about the body. They print the best photos, the least bones, the most peach. Candles are lit in the glint of every glam, every magazine stand, does the southern bell curtsy in her post box office bomb honor. The autopsy finds an easy answer. They say good things about the body, how bold her eyes were, bigger than Hepburn's the way she could turn into her camera close up like life depended on her.
0: <sighs> you're doing good though. Doing good. It's a great book. And I and I and I hope uh, Thanks Mark. And I'm glad you're you got through whatever it took. <laughs> nice to see you. <laughs>
2: Me too. Thanks.
0: That's it. That's the poetry discussion. There we go. It's a beautiful book. It's a it's a it's a hell of a meditation. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. I uh, pulled out the Telecaster. Anyone interested?